welcome to another episode of Nerds Amalgamated. I am the DJ, and with me today I have the Professor. Hello, DJ. How are you going? Oh, I'm 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 going well. Going well. It's getting colder. Colder, I tells you. Embrace the cold. <laughs> Winter is coming. Da, 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 da. No, no. We don't talk about that anymore. <laughs> Wow, what what an interesting few days it has been, hey? I don't know. I don't think I've been outside. So what's interesting that you're saying? Ah, uh, well, I've, I've been hearing news about uh, AT&T doing some interesting stuff, uh, selling off uh, selling off certain um, properties and whatnot. That's what I've been hearing. And uh, the news is not that great for a certain, for a comic book division. So I don't know how, how things are going to go from, the, from here on out. But I... Do hope we get more Batman comics because Marvel hippies are getting Marvel hippies hippie comics are getting very very tiresome to read. Yeah, we know you're a Marvel hippie. Stop, <laughs> stop lying to us. <laughs> I, I I I didn't even say I loved Marvel comics. What, what are you talking about? <laughs> That's all you ever talk about. Anyway, what do we have up first tonight, DJ? So uh, so you have a story about the uh, Four Corners report that happened last week. Uh, two weeks ago now. Uh, ah, yeah. Um, it's still available on ABC iView if you're in Australia. If you're outside Australia, I'm not sure how you watch it. But they do have a website that's a great summary of the um, the episode itself and also includes they've come up with a fictional game for the website that demonstrates the examples. So what did they explain, basically? Yes, I suppose I haven't explained that. It's about microtransactions. <laughs> and loot boxes the excellent surprise mechanic i mean what that's but that's like been explained time and time again i mean we've heard it we've heard this whole story like yeah time and time again I mean, it's what's, not what's... something that people outside gaming really know about though and i think it's something that's been bigger in the past year because so many people who wouldn't normally game have been gaming because of the lockdown so they interviewed a group of people, some game addicts, some psychiatrists, a representative from the games industry, and basically gave, I think it's a really good summary of the different types of uh, microtransactions. So was it accurate reporting or was it just... Uh... I think so. I think it was pretty accurate. I mean, they showed Animal Crossing New Horizons at one point, which... I'm pretty sure it doesn't have microtransactions from what I could tell. Uh, I did some Googling and it doesn't seem to, which a uh, bit of a mistake there. But apart from that, it was all pretty accurate. What's the uh, inaccuracy you've encountered in that whole um, report? Well, that. That's the only thing I've noticed that was inaccurate. Okay. See, that, uh, well, that's a problem like with... Um, I know it's um, not many people know about the whole gaming side, but must been really must have been really hard to tell the average man about the whole okay this is what's happening to your gate the game this is what's gonna this, these might um affect you in the, in the long run it do you reckon they um this sort of format is a good way of expressing it or they should have done it in a different manner um i think the episode itself uh didn't explain things the best explain the types of microtransactions I think the website is actually better at that because it actually has this little fictional side-scrolling game that demonstrates the uh, the different mechanics it's talking about. Depends on the narrative they've been trying they're trying to put out. No, it's fairly balanced. Okay. So anyway, the in the games industry, uh, 
was 175 billion USD of revenue last year. Three quarters of that was from market transactions like loot boxes. Oh man, guilty game. Uh, the only game I've ever really bought loot boxes, well, microtransactions in is Pokemon Go, and that's okay. only very occasionally. I've never really gotten stuck into it, but they do interview some psychiatrists. Uh, Dr. Kim Lee uh, points out that, uh, sorry, uh, Dr. Daniel King, I've got my notes mixed up. Dr. Daniel King points out that 2% of players worldwide have some sort of gaming disorder. I did some research that's compared to about 1% for gambling addiction. Oh. Yeah, and the uh, Dr. James Sauer pointed out that the people who are getting addicted to loot boxes are the same people who would get addicted to the pokies, especially since games like NBA now have actual pokey machines. Oh, for determining your reward. <laughs> yeah, I remember like Angry Joe, for example, was very angry about how they've made them angry. Really? <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, modeling your loot box off a pokey machine, like if you're not, I don't know how you could get more blatantly with this is gambling than that. Yet, if you ask them, they'll probably come out and say it's not gambling. Which is yep. what the uh, the games industry representative they had there, Ron Curry from the IGEA. He uh, he was very uh, sort of trying to deflect from the issue, pointing out that you know people spend their money however they want, and if they don't spend it on the games, they might spend it on something else. They did interview some other people from the industry who uh, were more akin to my thoughts of not wanting to exploit your your players. But uh, yeah, so Ron Curry was sort of the um, Sort of leader of the bad guys in this bit, from my perspective. But they also interviewed some politicians and some experts to find out what we can do to change it. And they put <laughs> out that in Belgium, loot boxes are completely banned. Oh, yeah. yeah. And in China, you have to disclose the odds. Yeah, that's that's a given, yeah. Yeah. What about, so, what about Australia? Have they done anything? Nothing in- yet. <laughs> they interviewed uh, Senator Jordan Steele-John, who was part of an inquiry a couple of years ago into it and thinks that the gambling lobby is actually the one behind the pushback against uh, anti-microtrend, well, anti-loot box laws, which I would completely agree with him there because uh, if you do a bit of digging, the people behind uh, mobile gaming, which is particularly rife with loot boxes, are often gambling companies. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just as one example, because you see it everywhere, not our sponsor, Raid Shadow Legends, <laughs> is owned by a gambling company. So as a gambling company, you already got the, you know, the gambling. Why not add the game and take money from gamers as well? And then you get people who don't come into the casino. So basically, we've ch- we're, gaming has now turned into a... I know it's a multi-million. Okay, we're gonna. We may sound cliche here. It, it's now a multi-billion-dollar industry, and it's. It has been for a while. Yeah, it has been for a while, but we've now it's now devolved into. Okay, we're gonna make it. We're gonna make even more money by uh, adding in the concept of gambling into yeah. it. And I think it's really predatory. Uh, a lot of the techniques they use are similar to the ones you would see in a casino, and I think both are. Uh, pretty predatory and exploiting people's weaknesses. I'm now, surprised they have A lot of people, you know, it is only a couple of percent of people who have an issue, but that's still a lot of people. Yeah. You know, think of how many other things that if they had a one in a hundred chance of happening, 
would be unacceptable. Your risk of dying in a car accident? <laughs> oh. Uh, let me just double check that number. It's definitely not one in a hundred. Lower than that, isn't it? I will tell you as soon as the page loads. Come on, internet. <laughs> I'm surprised no one, uh, no one has done a lawsuit against EA or anything like that. You know how we we're, we're seeing lawsuits of po- people suing pokey companies for uh, losing money and stuff. I'm surprised we haven't seen that level of scrutiny in the courts. I think we should uh, start seeing more scrutiny in that. Yeah, I think that's um, unfortunately uh, the inquiry ended in a recommendation to have another inquiry ah which what's the point it feels like a media circus at this point like yeah sure it's really silly yeah if yeah yeah sure like we another inquiry it will it will be another form of discovering and more more um cd not more cd behavior from the companies but it's going to be a media circus though like yeah, sure you'll get like people like Young Yeah and Angry Joe will 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 talk about this and will try and raise awareness about this. But then by the time by the time that it gets out of there, it'll be diffused so easily. Yeah, and there's a lot more money behind suppressing this than there is behind making a change. Hmm. So it is an emerging field of psychiatry. Uh, doctors still aren't you know 100 sure how to treat it. My layman's view would be that. It would be similar to treating any addiction, but, you know, not a doctor, so grain of salt. One of the doctors, uh, Dr. Kim Lee, admits that he has his own tendencies towards uh, Pokemon Go and that he's tried to do detoxes, but he keeps getting drawn back in. (laughs) Well, um, by the way, speaking of gambling um, with loot boxes, did you hear about uh, a couple of weeks ago with EA and how there was a a document uh, that... That was linking uh, FIFA 21 to gambling and uh, spending loot boxes is optional. Yeah, optional, sure. (laughs) The problem is, from a game design perspective, once you add a method to bypass the grind, especially if that method makes you money, you've got an incentive to increase the grind. So I don't believe that you can have microtransactions like that in a game that don't um, influence the rest of your design. Yeah. Oh, here we go. So the uh, AstraZeneca vaccine was found to have a risk of causing clots, not killing you necessarily, just causing clots, uh, around four in one million. Oh, that's really tiny. Yeah, but when that happened, everything shut down. Europe stopped giving out AstraZeneca while they investigated for an absolutely, what turns out to be an absolutely tiny incidence rate. Meanwhile, we're letting things go on that have a one in a hundred chance of happening, which, you know, one's mental, one's physical. I'll give you that. But why shouldn't we make a change to reduce the rates of people getting addicted to gambling and loot boxes? Okay, this may sound a, this may sound a bit conspiracy theory-ish, but I reckon it comes down to the media say, trying to um, stoke up the fear of people. Say what like, sort of oh. fear? What do they want us to be afraid of? It's like, oh, the coronavirus is evil. It's out there. The vaccine, we may never know. Even though, even, even though everyone's been working hard on this vaccine, we don't know whether it will work or not. It's like they were, they were revealing um how AstraZeneca the the uh the the, the success the success rate of the virus was like sixty seven percent or something like that. That's what I've been told. Uh, what I've been hearing all over the place. So yeah, I I, don't know, I yeah. I think um, the anti-vax people in particular really blew the risks of the AstraZeneca vaccine out of proportion. 
Yeah. Especially now we know that it's uh, four in a million. But I thought you meant uh, they were trying to make us afraid of microtransactions or something. I see yeah, yeah, not- that, yeah, that too as well. But like, it's the same thing as well with it. But here's the thing. If you look at how they're going with the with um, how they how the media is behaving during this sort of virus thing, comp- like it's sort of identical to what we're seeing with games and media in terms of oh look at the evil company the evil companies are doing this loot boxes and um, if the and um, that that sort of narrative that's what I'm trying to say. Well, I think you'll probably see that in any industry where it's make a boatload of money versus minimize harm the people who want to minimize harm will go around saying the companies are evil they're not necessarily evil they're just companies companies make money that's their goal that's all they care about yeah companies are indifferent it takes the people in the company to make the decision to minimize harm that's uh, the company culture just curiously though what were the after effects of this report uh, of this uh, four corners report like, were there any, like, big conversations um, in the gaming industry, like, from from where you're standing, or were there any, like... Um, Not that I'm aware of. Even, from, even on the indie circuit? Yeah, I haven't uh, actually seen too much on it in the indie circuit. I think most of us are aware of this, and most of us have an opinion one way or another, and this, uh, really, it's a, a layman's introduction to microtransactions. I think the... Uh, most of the industry are more likely to be watching the talks at GDC. They sourced the talk. I don't think it was GDC. I think it was another conference. But the Four Corners report did source a talk breaking down how to make the most money with microtransactions. Like you got to break the ice and then um, increase their spending and then build the habit. But I think the industry is more likely to turn to those sorts of reports rather than a Four Corners episode. I just wanted to watch it mostly because I was interested to see what the public view of it was. I mean, it's good to get pub- uh, a public view on it, but then the problem is trying to explain the whole uh, whole idea of games development in trying to cram down like what thirty odd years or thirty or forty odd years. Well, microtransactions are less than twenty years old. Okay, but yeah, trying to cram that all all that history into a an hour-long document, an well, hour-long documentary is a very, very hard task. I and- think, of course, you know, cramming a lot of info into an hour is hard. But I think because it has a limited scope, it's just about the microtransactions and the loot boxes. Yeah, it's not about the entire history of gaming. So we're really only only looking at ten to fifteen years of of history there, mm-hmm. and it's something I remember. Uh, you know. 10 years ago, maybe a bit more, um, this sort of stuff started to become known to the public through, um, I remember some of the first controversy controversy about microtransactions was kids who don't know what they're doing getting on and racking up a 20 grand bill on their mum's iPhone. But it's not just the kids who can do that, it's also the adults. <laughs> Yeah, oh, the kids yeah. do it because they don't know what they're doing. The adults do it because they're being manipulated, <laughs> and the kids are also being manipulated. The kids' games are doing this as well, and there's all sorts of tricks. They use fake currency. You know, every game you've ever played will say buy game dollars, <laughs> and it will be a conversion rate of ten to one or whatever. But what they do there, they trick you 
because you detach it from your view of currency. Psychologically, only your dollars are your currency. Your game bucks aren't. And then there's other dodgy bits like the minimum uh, available. Well, they'll set it up so that you can't buy the right number of game bucks to unlock an item. Yeah. Like you'll need 300 game bucks and the smallest game bucks package will be 500 game bucks. So you buy uh, the thing you want and then you have 200 left over that you can't extract and turn back into dollars. And then there's all this other manipulation stuff. They show you, you know, they show you a low price and a medium price and then a super high price item. And the goal is to get you to pick the medium one because the it shifts your frame of reference of what the acceptable prices are. There's a whole lot, you know, you could do a whole psychology degree on user design and getting people to spend the most money. Yeah, yeah. But there's also the social aspect of games. If you want to ditch a game that's sucking up all your money, you're also ditching your social network in that game. Wait, how so? Well, one of the points uh, Dr. Lee had is that with his own Pokemon habit, he's part of raid teams. Uh, They also interviewed a game addict as well who would spend eight hours a day playing a couple of times a week on raid day. But Dr. Kim said that when he left the game and tried to sit out for 90 days, he kept getting drawn back in because his friends would text and say, do you want to play with us? <laughs> oh, yeah. So yeah. It, I think it's going to be hard to quit. You know, if you don't want to gamble anymore, you can stay away from the casino. Yeah, but quitting but cold turkey is hard, though. It is hard. So if you've got a true addiction, you know, work with your doctors and your psychiatrists and all that. But it's also the presence of it. You're spending your entire life with your friends. They'll ask, why aren't you playing anymore? You know, it's the same as with alcohol. It's hard to get away from. I think that's why gaming addiction has the, it has a higher incidence rate than gambling addiction. Uh, double. Yes, it's only 2% over 1%. I can still say it's double. <laughs> but I think, like alcohol, game addiction is something that is hard to break away from because it is so present in your life. Yeah. And especially if you um, if you leave your friends there, then it might get to the point that you have to leave your social network because it keeps reminding you of the game. Mm. And that's, you know, a bit of a different argument. That's about game addiction rather than the microtransactions specifically. Yeah. But they didn't cover that as well. Yeah, but they did. Well, you can't spend microtransactions if you've broken your game addiction. Yeah. But I think they work hand in hand, though. Like, Yeah. Yeah. Someone who's game addicted is probably more likely to be a loot box addict, I think. Oh yeah, and not to mention, and uh, okay, this may sound a bit crazy as well. It, um, it could also include um social media addict as well. Like imagine uh just being on social media every day, just going like, hey guys, what a hey hey guys, I saw, I saw this on the Facebook page. You can do this and this and this and yeah, you know. that's a good point. If you, it's hard to quit Facebook because all your friends are there. Yeah, yeah, it's the it's the network effect. That's the term, or it's related to the network effect that. There are already all of your network is there, so you're drawn in that way. Now, my personal belief, uh, I'm open to you know discussion about it and how to solve it. But I personally think the way to solve it is to ban loot boxes. 
you don't have the bad microtransactions per se. Um, I think loot boxes are the more predatory side of it. Mm. I think ban loot boxes and make it so that you have to view the cost in real world money. So if you log into a game, rather than buying a loot box that has a you know one in a hundred chance of giving you the super awesome costume you want, log in and see that you can buy the costume for $10 or however much the game developer wants it to be. But it has to be in dollars, not in fantasy game bucks. Hmm. I, this might be this might sound like a stupid idea well, how about making the loot boxes really unaffordable like let's say if you really want to buy a loot box 100 um okay i was gonna say hundred thousand dollars for a loot box but that'd be crazy <laughs> <laughs> oh i bet ea would love to have that <laughs> um how about a thousand dollars you know if you really want the loot box you have to pay a thousand dollars that Seems like a deterrent. I don't know how well it would work. It would kind of... Uh... I mean, do something similar to like how um, people are trying to uh, stop people from smoking, you know, increase the smoking yeah. cigarette prices or increase the alcohol prices, that kind of thing. If if we're looking at like... like I don't think we've, that we've seen... That might be the way to do it. Add massive taxes to, uh, to microtransactions or to loot boxes and... Well, gouge it out the same way they did for cigarettes yeah. because cigarette usage has dropped significantly or we could or if you want to take it to the next step we could also okay this may sound stupid um do plain packaging on oh, on games <laughs> or plain packaging on the uh, loot boxes as in um remove all of the fancy animations yeah. yeah. Yeah, because uh, a lot of games have an animation, whether it's the box exploding or unwrapping. Or just take it, or, or even just take out the uh, pachinko like mechanic entirely. Yeah, I'm not, you know, I know it can still cause issues, but I'm less concerned about purely cosmetic microtransactions, particularly if you can buy exactly what it says on the tin. Yeah. My problem with loot boxes is that they are too similar to gambling because. You put in money and you don't know what you're getting out. Yeah, yeah. You could get the uh, $1 skin. You could get the $100 skin. And not to mention there's the whole uh, play to play to win. Like if you get the, it's not only the skin, it's also the effects with the skin. Like if you get the $100 skin, you can win it, win uh, matches automatically or auto aim yeah. or anything like that. Pay to win really bugs me as a, from a game design perspective. Yeah. I know why they do it. They do it to make money. I know games haven't kept up with inflation and are cheaper than they technically should be. If you compare the price of a game from the 80s, games haven't really kept up with inflation. But Just curiously, though, from a game developer's perspective, I know this um, may sound a bit repetitive, but when you saw it from a game developer's perspective, this entire report... What would what did you expect from it? Like, did you expect any like big, huge announcements kind of thing, or was it just like, ah, yeah, we all knew it? I think. No, I think it's all stuff that I knew. It was nice seeing that they'd interviewed actual psychologists about the uh, developments in the area, and that they interviewed actual people who had been affected. Um, I think often I hear about it in the industry, but I don't hear about the sort of the human cost. I hear, you know, someone spent a million dollars and uh, got it to a game and went into a coma because they stopped eating or whatever. But I, you don't really, I'm not yeah. sure what the term is, but the sort of 
disassociation of seeing something in a newspaper rather than having the person speaking to you more directly. As in the being desensitized. I don't think that's... Yeah, yeah, I don't think that's really it. I'm thinking more about how if you read in the newspaper, you know, five million people die of starvation. You're just like, okay, five million people, who cares? But you find out Dave, the guy from down the street, died of starvation. It's closer to home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see where you're coming from, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so I think uh, it's nice to hear the stories of the people affected. Uh, I'm not sure exactly how to fix it. I'm entirely possible my ideas are and I will uh, say that I will say this. Someone has a better idea. <laughs> I, I will say this: uh, never trust a politician or a big or a big games company to fix a problem. That's how I'll put it. Yeah, it kind of goes for any industry. A lot of big companies get away with what they do because they can afford to influence politics. Yeah, whether it's the gambling lobby pushing back against um, loot box banning or the tobacco industry pushing back against banning cigarettes or oil companies pushing back against uh, climate change awareness. I hope we can find a solution. Yeah, I hope so too. Yeah. Anyways, on the, in the interest of time, we should uh, move on. Um, so on to our science topic, we've got a story of Cyber Hack 2021, the Petroleum Wars. Uh, the, so there's a cyber attack that's been... Um, that occurred on a U.S. fuel pipeline, and it's making a bit most of the country go insane. <laughs> All right, the petroleum wars. <laughs> Gotta get that guzzling. Lo- <laughs> you know that's how Mad Max uh, Two happened. Wait, ha- wait, how did Mad Max Two happen again? <laughs> petroleum wars. Oh, yeah. Ah. Uh, or was it Water Wars? I might have mixed that up. I know Fury. I think Fury will. I think Fury Road was the water and and petroleum. I think, but hang on a second. Yeah, well, there was the huge um, disaster. Like society collapsed because of resource scarcity, and then nuclear war happened. But yes, the petroleum wars. Uh, a hacking group hacked the the Colonial Pipeline in the U.S. this week, which services the Southeast U.S. and meant that nobody could get petrol for a few days. only it's come out they didn't hack the pipeline they hacked the accounting system so the pipeline owners shut down the pipeline because otherwise they wouldn't have gotten paid no yeah (laughs) so because they didn't want to risk not getting paid they shut down the whole thing and caused chaos for millions of people Oh no! Why? <laughs> Business. Oh god! This is interesting. How you know how they they always say never negotiate with terrorists. <laughs> yeah, officially you're not supposed to pay the ransom. Lots of companies pay the ransom anyway. I haven't seen a confirmed report on whether Colonial Pipeline did though. But it wouldn't surprise me if they had, because a lot of companies do it under the table, even though the uh, officially you're not supposed to. Mm. Because if nobody ever paid them, they'd stop doing it. The thing is, people keep paying them because it's cheaper than securing your bloody backups. <laughs> and I like how the group that that's doing the whole thing is 
they have everything. Like, uh, they have a mailing list, a press center, a victim hotline, and a supposed code of conduct. And their yeah. site also features a hall of shame gallery type of leaked data from victims who haven't paid up, advertising stolen documents from more than 80 companies across US and, and Europe. <laughs> yeah, these big hacking groups are pretty industrious. What's this one called? Dark side. Oh my god, that's so generic. Oh, come on, what are you, 13? <laughs> Does it have the X's on either side like a gamer tag? <laughs> uh, we like to point out this was the professor saying, not us. <laughs> come at me. I've got proper backups. <laughs> Actually, please don't. <laughs> What was what? What's interesting is how because of this, people have lost their collective shit. Yeah, so the- just like the toilet paper scarcity, people cannot cope with the idea that there might be scarcity. So because nobody prepares for anything, everybody goes out at the first sign of trouble and messes up. And there wouldn't be a shortage if people didn't go and mess it up. <laughs> I think the re- okay the whole toilet scarcity thing. So I was re- I listened to someone that was saying why why toilet scarcity happened. The reason why they were scared of, of the whole toilet scarcity was because of the whole um logistical side of the of the delivery wasn't gonna was was gonna happen. So that's why people were freaking out. Yeah, it's I think all it's logistics. A, but yeah. the problem is people will instead of preparing. If you want to be prepared for a disaster over months and years leading up to the disaster, you go out and instead of buying 100% of your needs for the week when you do your shop, you buy 101% or 110% and build up a supply and then you keep that supply in reserve. The problem isn't that everybody was needed toilet paper. The problem is that everybody saw a disaster happening and decided, I'd better get the toilet paper before everyone else does. (laughs) <laughs> if you'd been smart and picked up a couple of extra packs before there was an issue, there wouldn't be an issue. Uh, there are it- some people, though, keeping it in inappropriate containers. <laughs> some of the examples I saw were actually traced back to other events in the past, but doesn't surprise me that people would would have done it again. I, I saw one video um, where someone was, pu- was uh, pouring petrol onto like open buckets, and I'm like... Dude, <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, I saw one from a couple of years ago from um, another shortage. It might have been before a hurricane or something. There's a lady filling a plastic shopping bag with um, petrol. And when the bag leaks, she double bags it and keeps going. No. <laughs> yeah. So the big issue here is that Colonial Pipeline's disaster recovery plan didn't. Your disaster recovery plan should be able to get you through with a thing like this. It might take you a few hours, it might take you a day, but it should absolutely not take you more than a day or two to get ready. The problem is Colonial Pipeline apparently didn't back up their accounting systems properly and couldn't get back online. When the uh... same thing happened at Mask, they lost everything. And they would have been screwed. The only reason Maersk was able to get back up so quickly is because they had one computer in Africa somewhere that happened to be offline because of a power cut. And they were able to bring that in and rebuild from that. But the problem is, if you don't have any sort of backup, you have nothing to rebuild from. 
and when the hackers hit you, you have to start from scratch or you pay the millions of dollars and hope and desperately pray that the hackers will give you your stuff back. <laughs> which which I think 99% doesn't really happen. Uh, surprisingly, it happens in a lot of cases. It's hard to know because companies that do pay the, uh, the ransom don't talk about it because legally you're not supposed to pay the ransom. Yeah, 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 that's fair. Yeah, because you don't want to encourage them. What's surprising about this entire thing is the rise of, we're seeing the rise of cybercrime. Particularly major infrastructure cybercrime. Oh, yeah. I don't know if Darkseid are state actors, but if they aren't, um, this is possibly the first uh, incidence of commercial cybercrime where a hacking group does it for money. State-sponsored hackers do this all the time. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. The, um, the most uh, prominent ones are, are, are the ones from China when they... Remember how they attacked the uh, Australian infrastructure? Yeah, China and Russia. Yeah. Um, Russia's team, uh, actually the not Petya attack, the mask attack that we we're just talking about traces back to, I think fancy bear, which is a code name given to the group. So <laughs> all of the hacking groups are given code names by, uh, security teams and fancy bear because they come from Russia. So that bear <laughs> China has some other name. I don't remember which. So, um, the U S hack Iran's uh the Iranian nuclear enrichment facility. Oh yeah, with Stuxnet. I remember that. Yeah, Stuxnet. That was uh, an instance of well not just the US actually. I think that was an international effort. But of course the US takes the credit. Yeah. yeah. Uh but Stuxnet they hacked the hardware that ran the um the centrifuges and in the end they got the uh, virus in by dropping a USB stick in the car park <laughs> and some clever little ducky working at the enrichment plant picked up the USB stick and thought I'd better plug this into my work computer and see what it does <laughs> breaks all of your hardware it turns out <laughs> and this is a lesson never pick up any USB you find in the middle of the street yeah so that being said though with all the cyber attacks and stuff are we going to see any more of this in the near near future or is this just going to be like a one-off we're going to see more and it's not just companies uh major infrastructure run by companies is vulnerable major infrastructure run by governments is vulnerable mm. small companies are vulnerable everyone's vulnerable you can't secure every doorway which is why you have backups and your disaster and a disaster recovery plan which you test and practice so that when the disaster happens you can get back on track within a couple of days. Yeah, and I think the hacking games are going to be even more, um, even more intense in terms of we're going to see. I reckon we'll, we'll see more activity from America, Russia, China. Well, a few months ago, a hacker tried to poison, I think, uh, somewhere in Florida by hacking in and modifying the uh, the water treatment plant machinery. Someone hacked in and was just adjusting the settings and would have uh, <laughs> exposed people to higher than normal concentrations of whatever chemical it was they were using to clean the water. Yeah, here we go. I, 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 here we go. It's uh, an employee at the water treatment plant 
Notice that his mouse cursor was moving strangely on his computer screen out of his control. Local police would later tell it initially he wasn't concerned. The plant used the remote access software Team Viewer to allow staff to share screens and troubleshoot IT issues. Yeah. Team Viewer is <laughs> known for being a bit uh, insecure these days. <laughs> so There was the, the massive solar winds hack um, oh. a few months ago as well. Uh, infrastructure. A few years ago, there was a... <laughs> Um, a test done by I don't remember if it was a free letter agency or who who did it, but uh, you can blow up a generator by hooking it up to the power grid and basically plugging it in and unplugging it really quickly. By doing it at the getting your timing right, you connect it and disconnect it at different peaks and troughs of the uh, AC frequency and the generator shakes itself apart. So I would not be surprised if in the next five years, major infrastructure is destroyed by hackers. Mm. In this case, you know, it was lucky. The, um, the, it was the accounting system that got hacked. What if they'd hacked the pump stations and made the pump stations burn out? Oh, no. Yeah, that's, you know, a lot of hardware you'd have to replace. And until then, millions of people aren't getting, um, aren't getting put, Petrol. Governments just don't seem to take it seriously. Mm. What's going to be interesting? Serious issue. Mm. What's going to be interesting is I reckon cybersecurity is going to be even more um, more intense in terms of we're going to see a lot more like come join Kaspersky ads or sign up for yeah. our VPN or uh, like or VPN companies are going to be off the roof. You're not see a necessarily lot. VPNs, but oh, yeah, yeah, well, security yeah. companies in general, uh, yeah. all sorts, antivirus, security, um, red teams. It's. I think that's definitely a growth industry. Yeah, and the sad part, and the sad part is, um, we're gonna be ha- we're gonna be forced to uh, shell out a lot more money just to get like uh, more cybersecurity, and our computers are gonna be gonna have to have a lot more. Um, a lot more design features that we didn't really need, in a sense. Yeah. Well, every now and then you hear about something that means you need to change your hardware because your hardware is fundamentally insecure. The most dramatic is probably Spectre, where it Mm. turns out an entire feature of Intel processors was fundamentally insecure and could be patched, but it caused a huge um, decrease in efficiency. Hmm. Although the int- other interesting part is going to be uh, we're going to see more Hollywood movies b- based, uh, do, do more hacker movies. <laughs> I'm not sure if I want um, quality hacker movies or cheesy hacker movies, but yes. <laughs> oh, I mean, remember the good old James Bond movies when they had the hackers? Oh, that was funny. Yeah. <laughs> they were funny. <laughs> And the That's magic- not even the worst example. <laughs> My favorite example of bad television hacking is um, NCIS. Oh, where two yes. Where people are typing on one keyboard to fight a hacker. <laughs> and then their boss comes up and unplugs the monitor. <laughs> I remember that. That was weird. <laughs> oh. uh, speaking of a TV series, uh, on to our final topic. Um, oh, that was good. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Well done. Uh, thank you. So, uh, before I before I t- say, it, I have to say this. I have the power. Yeah, you are not on the casting list. 
Oh, dang it. <laughs> so, um, anyway, new, uh, the first look at First look at uh, Kevin Smith's uh, Masters of the Universe Revelation has been uh, released. And I gotta say, the artwork looks b- beautiful. Like, especially with He-Man and, uh, and the Tiger um, and Skeletor. But there have been some new details coming out from this, uh, besides this new artwork. Such as the uh, changing, such as the new design of uh, Tila, for example, and how she looks like a, a dude. They've made the characters a lot more muscly, which is kind of realistic because uh, a lot of 80s cartoons had these really skinny women who were so super strong. Yeah. And that body shape does not uh, realistically work that way. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but come on, it's, it's, okay, here's the problem. If you're trying to live up to the 80s, be faithful to the 80s. Don't, don't, don't do this like, oh, we're going to do some changes and then, and then pass it around as, oh, we're going to try and, we, we, this is, this is the 80s series, but we just did minor changes. Like, yeah. it doesn't work. It's, it's like, be faithful or don't be faithful. It's 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 black and white, you know. I don't think it's as black and white as you think it is. But yeah, uh, it's so possible Kevin's... to be faithful but make certain tweaks that greatly improve something. Yeah, I particularly I in games. All my thoughts immediately turn to games. Uh, <laughs> Mass Effect Legendary, as I understand it, is a very faithful remaster, but they've changed minor things about the UI, about the handling of the vehicles. That just make it better. I get that. Okay, uh, I get that though. Like, if if it's changing like the controls of the game and how the game operates, okay, fair enough. But if you want to okay, change aesthetically, um, a... Halo Anniversary. Sure, it's mostly faithful graphically, but aesthetically, they ruined the flood levels. The level oh, that introduces the flood is missing a lot of the the gore and the grime and the darkness. You. I've played through Halo Anniversary recently, and you basically never have to use your torch. I remember using it a lot back when I played the original. And even on Master Chief Collection, you can switch to the original graphics. You can just hit a key and switch and see, yeah, I would need my torch on here. So despite the graphics being on the surface faithful, they've changed the whole tone of that level. Hmm. I- then there's um, Resident Evil 2 Remake. Oh, yeah. That's uh, faithful to the story, but unfaithful with specifics. So the story is the same. Most of it's reasonably similar, but, you know, you have all the same story beats, but uh, enemy introductions are different. You get weapons at different points. The map's been changed. I get where you're coming from, but like I said, it's hard to say, like, I, I get the I get where you're coming from, but I'm still standing by the fact that if you want to stay faithful to the series, stay faithful. <laughs> eh, I'm not fast. <laughs> I think it's more realistic that in this world of hyper muscly people, you'd have more Ronda Rousey than yeah. Mental but this, uh, but okay, like like look at for example, look at Tila for example in the in the old series, like she. Like she does, like she's kick ass and she looks beautiful, that kind of thing. But in this one, it's just she, she looks like a dude. Do you have a problem with that? <laughs> no, seriously. Like, do you have a problem with, with her being muscly? And as I said, I rather stick to the original source material. 
I just don't like it how they change it, you know? It's it's okay to not be attracted to her. You don't need to get a body pillow of every of every animated woman you see. Okay. Oh, oh, that's so mean. <laughs> but uh, anyways, moving along. So they, so Kevin Smith. Um, okay, I will say. It, so he's the producer of it. And interesting fact about him these days, he's the Disney shill basically. Like he he will he, he lo- um he's he's like the he's like the hype man for every uh Disney movie any Disney Marvel movie that comes out he'll be there going like oh my god this is the best movie ever this is the best trailer ever that kind of thing like anything related to Disney and Marvel he'll be there. Does he work for Marvel? He or Disney he or any of that? Uh, he doesn't really. He, yes and no. No, he doesn't work for Marvel, but yes, he works for Marvel in terms of, yeah, I would like to uh, use my platform to say that this trailer is awesome, you know? That kind of of thing. Like, he would just constantly talk about how great Marvel is, basically. Like, how I used to back in the day. As if you stopped. (laughs) Oh, I did stop. (laughs) I did did stop. But uh, anyway, so Kevin Smith, he's the um, producer and director of this series. So he's um, he puts out, he put out some details for this. So for the first episode, of Revelation begins in lockstep with the old show, which Smith mentions throughout the halfway. Things take a shift, which allows all the characters to go through periods of growth, which they, um, one of the one of the producers has mentioned a cataclysmic event that would shake it up. The pair keeps keep any further specifics from about the cataclysm in under lock and key but smith goes on to explain that the only certain people know that secret that adam is really he-man and we build an entire story that we left out the secret and the damaging trickle down effects of that what damaging trickle down effects though what damaging well you know when iron man said i am iron man it ended up with his house being blown up yeah but that was but then later later on in the movie it wasn't basically because of the house being blown up it was it was basically like oh i'm challenging you it was a challenge yeah but if he'd kept his identity secret they would never have blown up his house keeping the mask on is a has a long tradition in hero stories so whether that's uh, you know Marvel or DC or whoever makes He-Man, it's not a you know it's not new. It's a, got a long history, and sooner or later they do a story about the mask coming off. Yeah, interesting you mentioned that because um, another another quote that that was interesting for me was uh, so. Someone said this, we get to see them engage, not just in clashing swords, but in far deeper conversations that we've seen them before. Uh, it's not just simply like these two dudes, He-Man and Skeletor, has been trying to beat each other up for decades. We're going to tell stories of abuse. We get, to, we get to kind of tell stories of isolation and grief. We use these characters as long as they've been around and people consider them toys or action figures to tell insanely human stories to set in a very... What the hell is that supposed to be? I think that's really interesting. How? That's like, okay, so that's like. Taking these characters who are really shallow and giving them some real depth. But the, the okay, but the whole story of Masters of the Universe in fr- from the get go was good versus evil, black versus white. Yeah. It was and just. You can feel depth in those stories. You can tell depth in how evil manipulates. You yeah, can but tell what... depth in how good saves people. Yeah, yeah, I get that part, but then again, like, what are you going to say, like, uh, the abuse? Like, okay, we, we've already seen that level of abuse with Skeletor when he abuses the, 
abuses his uh, minions and Evelyn and stuff. We get that part, and then um, but like, what, like if if they're gonna tell the abuse from the good guy side of things, like what abuse? Like what abuse really? Like are we gonna see um Adam abuse Tila? No, probably not because they're good guys. Yeah, I know, but like that's what I'm trying to say. Like, what type of story are they gonna put into the good guys though? That's... Maybe one of the like I obviously can't say because I'm not on the writing team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's but fair, yeah. maybe one of the characters was you know captured and abused and escaped and became a hero to fight back. Yeah. That that that's yeah that's true yeah I could see I could see that happen that's true. There's a yeah. lot of stories you can tell. Just because you can't think of them doesn't mean there's not good stories to tell there. <laughs> I think you just don't like change. You're <laughs> yes, just God. an old man yelling at clouds. <laughs> yes, God damn it! Yes. <laughs> I just don't like how pe- like like as I said earlier on like if you want to if if you want to make a, a change if you want to make a, a, a masters of the universe to what you want don't saddle on the old series and make it and call it the the actual series I if you know what I mean think, like, I think it's possible to take something like that and stay faithful to the original while exploring these deeper topics yeah, but okay. Remember the last time um, they did that. Remember Doctor Who and how they managed to change the canon of the series. You were really cheesed that's off, if I recall. That's not the best example. I admit <laughs> that's not a great example. But that's not the only example. But that's the but that's the point I was trying to make, though, because they're your point get, is that it's going to be bad, even though you haven't seen it yet, and so you don't know that it could be good. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I, I agree with you there. I agree with you. But just with these revel, just with these revelations and stuff, it makes you wonder, like, what other changes are we going to see more? Like, for example, Andra, for example, like in the in in the eighty series, she it's a, a it's a totally different person to what they have now, and you kind of yeah. wonder, like, are they trying to do something here? Yeah, there's a trend to make things more inclusive, but. You know, it's not necessarily bad. If it's handled badly, it's bad. Yeah. If it's just shoving black people and Asian people into a show because you need to hit your quota, that's bad. If you handle it properly, it's not bad. You So there's a lot of shows that were things that have been rebooted from the 80s and have added the diversity and the... Uh, Inclusivity angle, yeah. Yeah, but haven't messed it up. So it'll all depend on whether they mess it up. Yeah. Interesting um interesting choice though. Like I that that have made them all look like Roid Rages. <laughs> I don't think that's a bad thing. I think you know, this hyper hyper muscled society makes sense if they're all hyper muscled. And you know, it's a more realistic body portrayal. You're not gonna be super skinny and be able to throw a bad guy around. Mostly, yeah. But that being said, though, like you, you don't want to see like us, um, a very a very skinny woman just uh, um t- throwing a punch and uh, ex- and making and making the punch sound like look like a, a haymaker from Tyson Fury. Yeah. But uh, what's interesting is the last paragraph of this article where um someone said becoming the best uh. F- Becoming the best version of, of yourself as has always been the heart of He-Man, and it's true now of Revelation. We wanted to reiterate that, but it makes it even 
but make it even more broad. It's just uh, He-Man has something special inside him, but every character and every viewer, we all have the power. That's a nice, uh, nice message. Yeah, I, I, I agree with it. I agree with it. I will, I will watch it just to see the uh, response, just to see the the fun side of it. I mean, yeah. the nostalgia is the nostalgia is in me. Um, I, I, I want to watch it, but yeah, seeing how with the character designs and how they're gonna justify, it, I want to. Uh, uh, it'll be interesting to see the reaction to it, though. It will, and well, that- just an example of a series that um sort of rebooted and added a lot of uh, a lot more depth. Snowpiercer. Oh yeah. It's added a whole lot of like the original is the movie, so it's hard to fit a whole lot of depth into a two-hour action movie. But it has added a lot of depth to characters, the good guys, the bad guys. The yeah, it's not um, not like they're just cashing in on it. But yeah, I I like I said, the animation it looks beautiful and stuff. I just think the character design just yeah, I I, I don't know what's going on with it. I just think it's it. I mean, we may we may we may we may disagree on it, but yeah, only time will tell. Only time will tell. Uh, anyways, we'll be back uh, after a message from our sponsors, and we'll be back with the uh, needful things, shoutouts, remembrances, famous birthdays, and events of interest. Sponsors, you make us sound so posh. I know, la di da. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Anyways, um, Professor, what uh, notable thing have you done this week? I watched Into the Night. Oh, yeah? It's a series on Netflix, um, originally Belgian, but I watched it with the English dub, which was pretty good. I've been watching a lot of European shows recently, and some of them have absolutely atrocious dubs. (laughs) I don't know, actually. I feel like the ones with the British accents are better dubs, usually. I don't know if the... A studio that Netflix chooses in the UK is a better studio than the one in the US or something. But yeah, just a interesting um, observation. Completely anecdotal. <laughs> so uh, what's the story about? So a passenger plane uh, is hijacked and the hijacker tells them to fly west because otherwise they will all die when the sun comes up. So they're trying to fly west and uh, keep in the shadow of the earth, basically stay on the night side of the earth. Okay. Uh. The um, the drama's really good. I thought it was actually a really enjoyable show to watch. Uh, it's actually based on a book called The Old Axolotl. But The Old Axolotl is sort of, from what I can tell, I haven't got my hands on a copy yet. It's sort of a um, cyberpunk uh, after the apocalypse story, whereas this is more of a modern day, the apocalypse is happening now story. And I think that's uh, an interesting choice to say you're inspired by the old axolotl when basically only the instigating event is the same. <laughs> I say the writers aren't great at numbers. Even the writers in the in the movie or the uh, in the series the or the, the series, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, 
one problem I had, um, like probably the most egregious, is that after they've uh, been flying for a while, a character says it's been a week, but it can't have been a week. It could at most have been 24 hours based on some other things. I'm not going to go into more detail because I don't want to spoil the plot exactly. You can probably figure it out from that based on what I've said anyway, but yeah. The character says it's been significantly longer than it actually could possibly have been. Um, the another time they they're calculating how much fuel they have, and they say they can fly to an airport, which is again significantly beyond the actual range of their aircraft. But apart from that, I thought it was really good. I binged it all in one session, really. Nice, nice. Um, one other odd thing: each episode starts with a sort of um, introduction to the character's past, sort of a major emotional connection that they have. And most of them are sex scenes. <laughs> oh, man. So the first episode opens with a sex scene in a hospital, and then you see that character carrying an urn through the airport, which, oof. Oh, no. So uh, how, how much would you uh, rate... How many Lady Bees would you rate this? Um... Apart from the mistakes, I thought it was amazing. So probably 4.9 out of 5. Ooh, very, very, very high. Very, very high. The only thing that really took me out of it was the the mathematical mistakes. Okay, nice, nice. What have you been doing? Um... I saw the first two episodes of Jupiter's Legacy, and boy, I gotta say, that was a... (laughs) I think I, I... I think I... I just snored that entire that first two episodes. Oh dear. Oh. Okay, so Jupiter's Legacy is based on Mark Miller's comic also called Jupiter's Legacy and it's basically about uh f- uh the first generation of superheroes trying to teach the second generation of superheroes about the world and they have to live up to the ideals of the first generation of superheroes. Um, so you followed the story of Sheldon Sampson, who whose alter ego is Mister Utopian. Oh, is, is it Mister Utopian? Oh, um, I think it's oh no, it's the Utopian. That's what he's called, and it's played by Josh Duhamel. And man, he does a he does a great father figure role in this one. But um, yeah, the first two episodes is basically the son. Uh, the son of um, the Utopian, whose code name is Paragon, and he's trying to live up to his dad. His dad keeps on saying, "Like, oh, he will never be the hero that I what who, that I was," and it feels melodramatic. Superheroes with daddy issues. <laughs> <laughs> like, like the first episode, for example, he uh, talks. He talks about how, okay, my son's not going to live up to... My son may not live up to my name. My son has to um, has to also uh, follow this thing called the code. And the code is basically a, a set of rules, basically, they, that a hero should not kill, they should not govern, and with that, they should have... Um, they, they should let humanity thrive, basically. And at Nerds. the end of... It all sounds interesting, but if you're saying it's bad, (laughs) yeah, but uh, yeah, it's just that in the first, like, with the melod, they put so much emphasis on the melodrama, like the dad, like the son, for example, how he, um, even though he he hasn't been uh, in in his part of his life, he keeps on running away, and 
He he's not gonna he's not gonna live up to the dad's name. Then you got that's Brandon, that's the son's name. Then you got Chloe, the sister. Oh, she's a she's a train wreck waiting to happen. Like she she always she she and the dad always keeps butting heads, and she always um says like, oh, your dad is such a mean person, and I don't like him, and and even though she has powers as well, like she. She doesn't want to be. She doesn't want to engage in the world of superheroes, basically. And at okay. the end of the at the at the end of the first episode, it's basically they um they engage against a supervillain, and I don't want to really spoil too much. But basically, at the end of it, um, Brandon commits something so heinous that his dad would dad says, "You broke the code. You broke the code." And I'm going like, "Oh man, this is uh, why are you sounding like Batman all of a sudden." <laughs> it's like you broke the why did you say that name that's my <laughs> wife's name <laughs> really that's my brother's name too <laughs> son <laughs> oh, and then uh, and, and then um and then the second episode happens oh, and is, this all- the, is this a sequel to those bat dad videos <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> I wish it was, but I hope not. No, I hope that um, Dad had a better relationship with his kids. Oh yeah, yeah. But uh, okay, so also in the first, also in the uh, first two episodes, you get the odd like flashbacks to like, oh, Sheldon uh, before he got the superpowers, he was a uh, he was a war- son of a Wall Street magnate to uh, own the company, and they were surviving through, they were trying to survive through the nineteen twenty five stock. Market crash and uh, like uh, there's one point where his dad uh, during the middle of the Wall Street crash, his dad was a uh, uh, basically did something crazy that nobody should nobody should never do. And uh, yeah, it, 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 they all start crying and stuff. And in the second episode, after that whole incident with the supervillain, back to the present. Um, they all start having another cry. It's like everybody's having a cry. Like this guy's having a cry. That guy's having a cry. This guy's having a cry. That guy's having a cry. Too many tears for you, were there? <laughs> like, get to the get to the story. This cl- this crying is just filler. And they and and they also starts another story of how they how they how the um, original first generation start to have powers basically. So I would like even though this start is okay but it's also poor um yeah i i will say it's a good concept though like talk to trying to have even though the speeches are clunky at times it's trying to teach a message about how oh you must uh whatever you do is a reflection of this family and also the speeches of uh you know sounds like a superhero version of basically any story about living up to your family's expectations (laughs) yeah yeah this it's is like, just a superhero version of Prince Harry's life. <laughs> you don't understand me, Super Dad. <laughs> Son, of course I understand you. I can read minds. Ah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> man, and that's our su- and, and that's why you see uh, Prince Harry running away. <laughs> It sounds oh. like an interesting um, parallel to that. Yeah. Um, like yeah. that's sort of what sci-fi does well. You take something that is, you know, really silly, like superheroes, 
and use it to explore topics that are relevant to real life. But yeah, I get that. I, I get that. Like the, adding in the social commentary and the human drama to it. But there has to be a point where you're trying to like gel it nicely, you know, gel it nicely to the point where you don't make it as a big, big message going, this is how you should be like, be, be nice, you know? So you think it's a bit heavy handed. Yeah, yeah. Don't I I'll say sci-fi nowadays is a bit too heavy handed and that's what you don't see much in the old sci-fi like Star Trek and stuff, but that, I digress, okay? Anyways. For, with, <laughs> Star with, Trek's it, pretty heavy handed actually. It is pretty but, heavy handed. Yeah. Well you keep watching. <laughs> I'll keep watching just to see how crazy this this show goes. I mean, there are some funny, there, there are some interesting moments in in the in in the first two episodes. Like for example, in the first episode, uh, the uh, daughter comes home and she's absolutely plastered, and for the family dinner, and the dad's like saying, "I saw your uh, magazine, cu- I saw your magazine shoot," and there's this awkward silence. To watch, but basically she posed nude in a Marie Claire um, cover. Oh, <laughs> that's uh, an awkward thing for your parents yeah. to see. Yeah. And the dad knew about this, and he's just trying to make it. It's just awkward. Uh, but the family drama gets a little bit m- more, a he- little bit more um, annoying. But yeah, it's like I said, it's just everybody's having this pant wedding cry. And nobody cares about it. We just want to see superheroes. Okay. But, yeah. Anyways, I would give this one a uh, 3.5 out of 5, basically. You've given it a surprisingly high score for how bad you thought it was. Yeah, I mean, so. it, ha- it has potential. Like, the special effects and the fight. I-, I forgot to mention, the special effects and the fights, they were beautiful to look at. Is this a week-by-week series? Um, Netflix series, actually. Yeah, but is it week-by-week or is it binge? Binge. Okay. I think you should come back next week and tell us how it goes. Yep. <laughs> I will. I will. But, um, yeah. yeah. I, it, it has... I, I want to see more of it. I, will, I would like to see more of it, but, yeah. I don't know whether it'd be, it'd be good, but, yeah. Okay, so uh, on to our shout-outs. On the 11th of May, Norman Lloyd passed away at 106. His, noble, his most noble role was the villain who fall... Of, who falls off the Statue of Liberty in the 1942 film Saboteur, but he also portrayed Dr. Arnold Oshlander in Saint Elsewhere. His career spanned almost 90 years, and he worked with everyone from Charlie, from Charlie Chaplin to Orson Welles and Alfred Hitchcock to Robin Williams, Cameron Diaz, and Daniel Day-Lewis. In 2014, Los Angeles uh, declared his birthday on the 8th of November as Norman Lloyd Day. On the 16th of May, the 15th anniversary of Heroes of Might and Magic 5 passed. This was Ubisoft's hard reboot of the HOMM series, cutting ties with the previous games by 3DO. Heroes of Might and Magic 5 was also first completely 3D. Um, which is unusual in the Heroes of, Heroes of Might and Magic game. And on the same day, Terraria celebrated its 10th anniversary. This 2D mining adventure game draws comparison with Minecraft, but takes a different path and focuses on finding powerful loot and boss battles. The developers have announced the final update around three times, but they keep coming up with more. <laughs> You've played Terraria, haven't you, Professor? No, I haven't. It's one that I... I mean to get into though. It's um one that I I might have played a little bit like years and years ago, but I was always more of a Minecraft player. 
Fair enough. But Fair it enough. is one that I have been meaning to uh, get into at some point or another. Fair enough. Maybe one day when I catch up with all the other games I want to play. <laughs> You and how many games again? Well, you know, it felt kind of manageable before I bought that um, 3,000 game bundle during the lockdown last year. <laughs> Just curiously, how many of that 3,000 games have you finished? Uh, <clears throat> some of them you don't finish because they're roguelikes. But of them that I've played, probably about half a dozen. Oh, okay. There's a bunch in there that I've already played on other platforms, though. So I'm not counting them. Fair enough, fair enough. So uh, on to our remembrances. On the 13th of May 1929, Arthur Sherbius died in a horse carriage accident at the age of 50. Among other things, like a synchronous motors, electric pillows, and ceramic heating, he also invented the mechanical cipher device known as Enigma. His work on a synchronous motors led to his name being linked to the Sherbius principle. He filed a patent for Enigma in 1918, which was a very heavy cash register sized unit. He later refined the design into the Model C, which was more portable and, indi- and indicated with letters with lamps. This model resembled a typewriter in a wooden box. Despite his death in 1929, he lived to, s- to see the German military adopt the Enigma, but not see its most famous use in World War II and the eventual decoding of the mechanism by the team at Belchley Park. Belchley. Thank you. Uh, on to our birthday. Georgios... Oh my god, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to butcher this name. Giorgio pa- Papanikolaou. I think that's how you say it. Um, a Greek physician who pioneered psychopathology and early cancer detection. He invented the pap smear pr- procedure, or Papanikolaou smear. He first reported the use of the pap smear as diagnostic tool in 1928, but it wasn't until he published Diagnosis of Uterine Cancer by the Vaginal Smear with Herbert Frederick Trout in 1943. He later worked that the first observation of cancer cells in the smear of the uterine cervix gave me of one of the greatest thrills I've ever experienced in my scientific career. He was born in Kaimi Iboe on the 13th of May, 1883. Uh, on to our events of interest. On the 13th of May, 1958, Ben Carlin, the first person to circumnavigate the world by amphibious vehicle traveling 17,000 kilometers by sea and 62,000 kilometers by land in 10 years. After having a wild idea in the military, he suggested to his wife that that they honeymooned by crossing the Atlantic in a modified 4GPA amphibious G- military jeep, which they named Half Safe. Departing Montreal, they completed the crossing in 1951 after unsuccessful attempts. They travelled Europe, settling in Birmingham to raise money before resuming travel through the Middle East in 1954 and visiting Calcutta. Next, they went to Australia to fundraise before Ben's wife turned returned to the US. Ben recruited a number of new travel partners as he moved through the Southeast Asia, Japan, and Alaska before exploring the US and Canada. The half safe had several modifications, including a boat like bow, a rudder, a cabin, and extra fuel tanks. The cabin contained a bunk, aviation instruments, and a two way radio. Half safe became a meter long and gained over 700 liters of fuel capacity. Uh, that's One... a meter longer. Ah, right. <laughs> A metre longer, sorry. One Can you imagine ta- travelling for 10 years in a space a metre square? 
Oh, 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 think of the number of stops. <sighs> One fuel tank under the belly c- could be jettisoned when a- empty. The name came from the arid, de- is that deodorant? Yeah. <laughs> arid deodorant slogan. Don't be half safe. Use arid to be sure. <laughs> Man, that must have been a crazy de- deodorant commercial. On the same day in 1977, John Borman's Zardos released in Portugal. Zardos is a famously weird movie featuring Sean Connery in the main role, a savage who only knew how to kill, meeting a society of immortals preserving humanity's achievements. It was shot entirely in County Wicklow in Ireland using all practical effects done on site. Initially, they had trouble importing prop guns due to a terrorist attack uh, occurring at the time. Oh, this movie had so much more than than that trivia. Such as a real baboon on the set attacking a double dressed in an ape suit who was portraying a baboon. Um, To help costs uh, down, Sir Sean Connery used his own car and drove himself using the production. John Borman then gave him half the money that had been budgeted to hire him a car and driver. The idea was Connery's, according to Borman. Charlie Borman recalled that Sir Sean Connery stayed at the Borman family house in Animo, uh, County Wicklow, Ireland, for the duration of the shoot. At the end of each week, Connery would pay John Borman's wife rent money to cover the costs of keeping him. Oh, that's very nice of him. Uh, reportedly, Charlotte Rampling looked forward to her, her sex scene with Sir Sean Connery, then was disappointed when it was over and done with so quickly. <laughs> Why would you ever say that? <laughs> I mean, I mean, wow, really? You were looking forward for this? I mean, I mean, I mean, this was the seventies, after all. Yeah, but filming a sex scene sounds like it could be so awkward. <laughs> I mean, I mean, this was James Bond, mind you. Every, everyone yeah. wanted to have a, everyone wanted to have sex with James Bond. <laughs> uh, uh, more trivia on, on Zardos. Um, the the open title card reads "Set in the year two thousand two hundred and ninety-three." Originally, John Borman was going to set the movie about five years into the future, which would have been late, which would have been the late 1970s. <laughs> um, so Sean Connery appeared in drag as a bride in one scene. Reportedly, Connery initially felt uncomfortable about doing the cross-dressing scene. Uh... Uh, early in the film, when the weapons were spewed out of the floating head's mouth, several crew members' arms and a face could be seen throwing them. Oh, that must have been funny. <laughs> Imagine looking at it yeah. going, Hey, I see an this arm. Mouth with hands coming out like Bleh. <laughs> Uh, but the review the review for this movie is even more hilarious. So uh, Ian Christie of the Daily Express said in his review, if this is intellectual thinking, then Donald Duck deserves the Nobel Prize. <laughs> Man, this film must be really wild for that to happen. I've never seen it, but I hear it is really wild. <laughs> it's infamous. I've heard that uh, Rick and Morty used a couple of uh, a couple of references of that movie to in, the, in one of their episodes. <laughs> uh, 
And uh, finally, on the same day in 2013, Captain Battle Legacy War re- was released. A soldier named Sam Battle is injured and close to death. His friends inject him with a secret serum which saves his life. After returning to town overrun by neo-Nazis, Sam discovers the serum has given him super strength and agility and called it an and a Captain America-like shield. No, I'm kidding. That's that's not what it is. Uh, which uh, he used to battle a necromancer who has ne- who has resurrected Heimlich Heinrich Himmler. Really, Heinrich Himmler? You, you of all the Nazis, you resurrect that guy? <laughs> what well, wasn't Himmler the guy that had a, a secret fetish or something like that? I don't know. I'm not sure. I want to know. <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't think anyone else wants to know. Uh, so Sam takes the role of Captain Battle, a role taken by his grandfather during World War Two. So, well, this sounds like a discount version, ca- discount Captain America. Yep. <laughs> What's next? Uh, Red Skull. We we couldn't get Red Skull, so we got yellow, Gray Skull. No wait, that's that's He Man. Damn it. <laughs> So uh, that's all we have for this week. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, YouTube, and that's not Canada.com, where we're an archive of our old episodes. And you can find some new uh, That's Not Can podcasts, such as Boo, My Dad Says, which is basically a husband and wife team with the interest in the paranormal. We explore the unknown local lore and listener experiences ranging from hauntings to UFOs and cryptids. That sounds cool. So uh, anyways, that's all we have for tonight. And it's time for me to chase vampire ladies. Still on with that? Look after yourselves, stay hydrated, and we'll see you next time. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi Mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started 